0: Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. You're listening to a teaching message by Vintage Church in Harker Heights, Texas. Whenever and wherever you are listening to this, our hope is that you are encouraged and challenged by this message and that you are inspired to take your next step with Jesus. For more information, please visit us at vintage.church or follow us on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Vintage Church. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, my name's Pastor Stephen, and I am super excited that you're here. Really just want to get a chance to connect with you. If I haven't already had a chance to meet you, uh, if you're here in person, please stop by the guest suite. If you're following online, shoot us a message. I'd love to connect with you and your family. You know, we're going to jump in. Can you already believe we're in week four of a six-week series, We started a little over four weeks ago now, uh, called Jesus is King, where together we've been studying the mysterious, uh, sometimes confusing for believers, uh, the book of Revelation. You know, we're in week four. We've been in this journey really going uh, through the different parts of the book of Revelation. For example, the book of Revelation is separated into three parts, uh, that which was, is, and is To come. Last week we jumped in and we started talking about future events. Before we go any further, though, just so you can firmly place where we are in this series, uh, if you've missed any of the previous weeks, we're building through this book. Really, uh, uh, really, it's a timeline, and so I want to encourage you. We're building each week. Go back, download our mobile uh, church app, hop on our YouTube. Page and make sure that you catch up on any of the messages that you missed. Just a short recap for those of you who maybe haven't missed a message, but we've covered a lot of content. Uh, week one, we introduced the book of Revelation and we learned this reality the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not a revelation of the Antichrist, although he's in there. It's not a revelation, right, of the beast or the harlot. It's not a revelation of judgment. It's a revelation of Jesus. Remember our theme verse for this series is found in Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. It's speaking to us. This book is written by John to us, the church, right? He says, and we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And we did not love our lives even to death. The message of the book of Revelation we learned in week one is that we overcame Come. you know i remember as a baby christian the first time i read through the book of revelation i slept with the lights on for over a month okay but as i grew and mature in my faith i realized that this book uh, is really a book of hope if you're looking uh, at the right uh, from the right perspective that's what we learned in week 1 week 2 we talked about how you and i as christians are to thrive uh, in a wicked world how you and i thrive under pressure. You know, Jesus spoke a word to seven churches. Those seven churches represented uh, the churches in John's day, the churches uh, that came from that day, including the church age, our churches today. In each of these churches, Jesus offers a rebuke. There are a couple churches he actually just celebrates, but there are many, many things we can learn about how to thrive under pressure, if you missed week two we're talking a lot about that the seven churches that Jesus spoke to uh, then in week three, we shifted uh, from the things that were to from the things that uh, that were that are and we moved into the future we started talking about uh, the future events those things which have yet to happen and this starts in chapter four and we started looking at the apocalyptic writings and specifically the things that are yet to uh, happen. We learned about the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, speaking of God's wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Last week we introduced this idea of rapture as a very big theme in scripture. God never allows his children to go through his wrath. We learned how there were different opinions in the body of Christ. Uh, None are more important than the gospel of Jesus. Okay, We need to hold them with open hands, but we learned uh, really about a pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib rapture. I personally believe that the The uh, pre-trib rapture aligns greatest with the total of Scripture, and it also aligns with the character of God. Jesus took God's wrath for us on the cross so it makes no sense that God would allow his children who have been removed under his wrath to undergo his wrath in the book of of revelation in the great tribulation and so that's my opinion I I mentioned that there is a fourth opinion there's pre-trib there's mid-trib and there's post-trib there's also pan-trib and pan-trib is it will all pan out I can suspect we're going to get to heaven one day. We're going to look at Jesus, right? We're going to have have experienced his plan, and all of us are going to go, Wow, God, that didn't quite turn out exactly like I thought. I think that that is a healthy, humble position that all of us should take uh, through this series. So I'm going to go back to an overview of where we are. Uh, There's a chart on the screen. This is also printed in your notes. Okay, so here's kind of where we are. Believers will be in heaven with Jesus and not on earth, suffering the wrath of God poured out during the seven-year tribulation. That's my belief. Uh, This week and next week, we're going to dig into the great tribulation, which is a seven-year period right here, right here in the middle. In the next two weeks we're going to be focusing on that and then we're going to wrap up our series and we're going to talk about uh, the return of the king, the new heaven, and the new earth. Now, the tribulation is a seven-year period. We're going to jump right in in the Great Tribulation Part 1. I'm going to continue with Part 2 next week. Okay, It begins after God's people are removed in the rapture from the earth. Everything that's holding back the forces of evil in our culture, the light and the salt of the world, is removed, and it gives reign to absolute chaos. Sin is no longer restrained. It's completely released on earth. Okay, it begins after the rapture and the great tribulation extends to the second coming of Jesus when Christ returns at the end, really halfway. I'm sorry, at the end of that, he returns to earth to set up his millennial kingdom. We'll talk about that next week. So, for your reference, let's take it, let's zoom in to the seven year period. Uh, as I believe, here in, in the tribulation, right here, we have a slide uh, on the tribulation. Let's zoom in. It's seven years. The first three and a half years are relative. Peace, you see these different things going on, and then you have the back half of the three and a half years, which is the great tribulation, the, the judgment of God, the seals, the trumpets, all of that's happening in the seven year Period. Now, two of the primary places we find the tribulation in Scripture are in Daniel's chapter seven, nine, and twelve. Write those down. Daniel chapter seven, nine, and twelve. I taught through the book of Daniel. I also taught through the book of Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians, talks a lot about this period of time. It's also seen in Revelation chapter six, verse. Ver, I'm sorry, chapter six through nineteen. And Jesus also mentions this time throughout the Gospel. So this seven-year tribulation, again, is divided into two halves. The first half of tribulation is a time of relative peace. You could call it a time of consolidation of power. Okay, But the second half is literally uh, hell on earth. God says that if he didn't relent, nothing would be left. It's not just the judgment and the wrath of man. It is the judgment and the wrath of God. Now, before we jump in and we start really talking about the seven-year period, okay, it can be very difficult to to follow along as you're reading Scripture. And here's why. Because this seven-year period, much like our favorite action movies, has multiple things going on at the same time. For example, there are multiple storylines. Any good story. How many of you all love The Avengers? Okay, in the Avengers, there's multiple storylines that overlap and some that are just happening at the exact same time. And so that's the case with the seven year tribulation. And so there's several things that are happening simultaneously, several storylines. There's really three storylines, okay? There's three storylines of the tribulation. One storyline is that of the church that has been raptured. We're in heaven in what's called the marriage supper of. The Lamb, we're going to talk about that. Then there's another one that is Christ on the throne of heaven and he's releasing what's happening on the earth from heaven uh, to the earth. And then there's the third storyline, which is what's actually happening the tribulation events unfolding on the earth. So we're going to focus on those three storylines uh, in this message. The first storyline, the storyline of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, it is my strong belief that believers will not be on the earth during the tribulation. They will be in heaven, which warrants the question, what will they be doing in heaven? Well, immediately after the rapture, we will experience what the Apostle Paul calls the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's speaking to Christians at Corinth. He's speaking to Christians everywhere. That day one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so we arrive to heaven and we are judged by Christ, not for our sin, but by what we did with his grace, our life after sin. And we are rewarded for everything righteous that we have done. We will stand, and the Bible says we will stand before the judgment seat of of Christ, right? And he will essentially test our works as we are presented uh, to him, now, after the judgment seat of Christ, we move directly into what's known in Scripture as the marriage supper or the marriage dinner of the lamb. I'll explain that in a moment, but we see this in Revelation chapter 19 verses seven. Through nine, we see the celebration. It says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Okay, so this seven-year feast takes place in heaven with Christ and us as believers and it coincides time-wise to the seven years of tribulation on Earth. The feast will be a fantastic place to be. I'll tell you, for those of you who just really want to be uh, at the tribulation, I believe we're going to be up in heaven enjoying Jesus as that's unfolding on earth. I would much rather be there than experiencing hell on earth. That's just my personal opinion. Okay, Now, where we get this idea of the marriage supper of the Lamb, you got to remember that we're fulfilling the Hebrew Scriptures. This includes the Old and New Testament. And so in ancient Jewish tradition, they have a seven day wedding feast that starts with the groom receiving his bride. We re- he receives us at the judgment seat of Christ, all right, from her home, from the rapture, and ends with the bridegroom taking the bride to their new home. In a similar way, the seven year marriage feast starts with Jesus coming for us at the rapture and culminates with the groom, Jesus, taking his bride, that's us, the church, to our no- new home uh, after his second marriage coming. Our new home is back here on earth and our role is to rule and reign with him during the thousand year millennial kingdom. While the earth is in seven years of tribulation, Jesus is fulfilling his covenant with us, keeping his promise to us as the groom and us as the bride. Now, we have this storyline taking place in heaven. We're going to move to the exact time period, but what's uh, happening from the throne of heaven to the earth. The second storyline is the storyline of the throne of heaven. Remember this. This is very important. Nothing happens on earth that is not established first in heaven. That is a very important thing for you to note. In Revelation chapter 6 through 18, we see three cycles of seven judgments unleashed from the throne of heaven. We see the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Each round of judgment becomes more intense and severe than the previous round. The seven seals take place in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Some would actually argue that we're not raptured until that point, pointing that the seals could just be the judgment of man being released on earth. However, the trumpets and the bowls are mentioned as the wrath of God, and they take place in the second three and a half years. Now, let me qualify something. Okay, What we see with the seal judgments is not... So much Jesus casting and pronouncing plagues on the earth as much as it is men doing the evil that's in their hearts in an unrestrained fashion. In other words, Jesus removes what's restraining them, namely us, where's the Holy Spirit, with and in us. He removes the salt and the light and the helper from the earth. And then men are are, are just unrestrained. This is why some people believe uh, and I think this is an acceptable view that we will actually be here as believers through the first uh, through the first three and a half years uh, of the tribulation. I personally don't believe that as long as believers are here, shining light uh, and salt, and 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 I don't believe that that's going to happen. Some people uh, do, however, if you want to be here, uh, good for you. Okay, so we look at this this in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses six through eight. And now you know what is restraining. This is where I get this from. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So in other words, when the church is raptured, the work of the Holy Spirit through the church, a salt and light and culture, is immediately removed, giving way, essentially, For the Antichrist, who remains unknown at that time, to become known, consolidate his power and move forward. So next we move to the seven seal judgments. The first four seals are illustrated as four horsemen riding four different horses. These are four demonic spirits no longer restrained by the Holy Spirit in the church. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, the white horseman represents a dominating spirit bent on conquering and conquest. The red horseman in Revelation 6, 4 represents a spirit of wrath and anger, bringing civil unrest, crime, and murder to the earth. In Revelation 6, 5, the black horseman represents the fruit of greed and total economic collapse. The fourth seal in Revelation 6, 8 is the pale horseman, pale being the colors of death. Those that come to Christ in the tribulation are massively targeted and persecuted by Satan. In the fifth seal, John is looking into heaven and says in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they hailed. Uh, which they held. Here we see the souls of the saints martyred during the tribulation. During these first three and a half years of tribulation, we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, that people are still coming to Christ all around the world. When Christians are removed, everyone's, there are a lot of people that had heard the gospel. They saw the seeds. The seeds are there. okay. But they start to realize, oh my gosh, this was true. Many, many people come to Christ. Uh, in that first three and a half years. Revelation 7, 9 says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Now these people in white robes are bodiless souls, given these robes as coverings during this time. They were not raptured, so the time of their embodiment we actually see later in the book of Revelation. The sixth seal is the creation's reaction to the unrestrained sin and devastation on the earth. Revelation chapter 6 verses 12 through 14. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as fig, fig tree drops its lake figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its Place. The seventh seal then releases the seven trumpet judgments which we're going to address later next week. And so we see this storyline happening in Scripture as God's people are removed by the rapture we learned about last week. Okay, the three and a half years, the first three and a half years rather, begin. There's great persecution of those who come to know Christ because they realize that the message that they heard was true, right? And and and, and it, they, they essentially profess Jesus. They're horribly persecuted. God, these, these, this is happening from heaven. We're going to jump into the trumpets next week, but I want to move to the storyline of earth, which is the third storyline. The third storyline that we're going to talk about is what's happening on earth. We set the scene here. Remember, these all three are happening at the same time. In this seven-year period, they're all happening simultaneously. Let's start by talking about the 144,000 people that we see in Revelation chapter 7. This 144,000 people are remnants of the Jewish people, the Bible says 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So people from all around the world are getting saved during the tribulation, but God is also still keeping his promise not only to those in Christ, but also to the Jews and the family of Abraham. He's protecting 144,000 Jews during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. You might ask again, why is God doing this? He's keeping a promise. God is the, is the promised Keeper. The work he starts in you, he will see it through because he is always a finisher. He is a righteous judge. He is honorable. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 to 8. This is his promise. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you, after I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. Look what he says. And I will be their God. Here's what we learn. God is true to his word. The word says that God elevates his word above his name. What he says he will do, he does. He is faithful. Now we're going to jump to another scene that's happening on earth. He's gathering and protecting these 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. During the first three and a half years, we encounter encounter two witnesses in Jerusalem. This is in Revelation chapter 11. In Revelation chapter 11 verses 3 through 6, God gives these two witnesses great power for self-protection and for judgment. And I will give power, it says, to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemy. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. They have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So we see two witnesses, pretty powerful guys, that are empowered by God during this period. Throughout the first half of the tribulation, these two Witnesses are prophesying against the sins of man. Like Elijah and Moses, these witnesses have the power to keep rain from the earth and to turn water into blood. Their ministry is one of judgment against the wickedness in Jerusalem. Their ministry ends right in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in, right? When the beast, that is the Antichrist, has them killed. And for three and a half days, their bodies lie in the streets of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcomes them, and kills them. Then, after the three and a half days, as we see in verse 11, life comes back into their bodies. They are called up to heaven before the eyes of the whole world. This is mentioned in scripture. You know, there's never been another time in human history where an event like this could happen and it could be seen by every single person all around the world. It could have never happened until now. Here we see that they are pulled up, which is just more witness. Here's, you know, A lot of people talk about revelation and all these bad things happening as like this God's just being mean. But you realize God could just destroy everyone all at once and be done with it. You know why he doesn't? Because of grace. Because there's still a chance that somebody can hear the words, that somebody can come to know Christ. God is literally exhausting all excuses To following him. He's essentially knocking anyone off the fence that has one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. He's giving them no excuse. Why? Because he loves them and he wants every single person that possibly can to know and to follow him. God is validating their message with judgment and repentance. By raising them to life as he did with his own son, God demonstrates their messages from him and can be trusted. Let's revisit the tribulation chart for just a minute. It's going to be on the screen. Again, it's in your notes. This brings us to two important characters in the earth's storyline. They're called the two beasts. This is the figure known as the Antichrist and the false prophet. The seal judgments of the four horsemen come as a result of the lack of restraint against humanity's godless desires. This lack of restraint opens the way for the introduction of these figures, the Antichrist and the prophet. The Antichrist will begin his rule by signing a peace agreement with Israel bringing the long sought after peace in the Middle East. We see this in the book of Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. Again I taught this book in preparation for this series. I also taught the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Go to our YouTube page if you want to dig deeper into those. But it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, let me translate that just a little bit for you. Here in Daniel's prophecy, one day equals one year, so seven days equals seven years. Halfway through this tribulation period in Revelation chapter 13, the first beast, the Antichrist, is given power over the nations. While slaughtering Gentile believers during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the 144 Jews are protected. The rest of the world worships the beast just like the ancient citizens of Rome worshipped Caesar. Then in verse 3 of Revelation 13, we see that the Antichrist receives a near-fatal wound this is where the second beast, the false prophet, is introduced. The false prophet, this religious leader, right, heals the fatal wound, then prompts the entire world to worship the Antichrist. Now, during the first three and a half years, Israel is experiencing relative peace. The Antichrist, for example, makes it possible for this peace agreement to be able to happen so that the, the temple there at Jerusalem could be rebuilt and, and ceremonial sacrifices could be restarted. By the way, you can go online and you can see plans for this third temple. It's already designed. It's called. It's an it's a, it's a organization called the Temple Institute. I've actually been there and met the leader of this organization, at least as it stands today. Okay? But in the end, in the middle of the tribulation, when the Antichrist commits what's called the abomination of desolation, we read about in Daniel 9, 27. Jesus, by the way, mentions it as well in Mark 13. We have this event, and I want to explain it. It's called the Abomination of Desolation. This is an event that is literally the straw, the last straw. This is the most sacrilegious thing that anyone could ever do, okay? And this really prompts, right... This this prompts Jesus' return. It occurs right in the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist goes into the innermost part of the newly built temple to what's called the Holy of Holies. It's rebuilt to the throne of God. He sits on the throne and he proclaims himself to be God. Now at that time, the Antichrist turns on Israel and the four hundred and forty four thousand Jews are martyred. We see in Revelation 14... That the 144,000 are then in heaven with Jesus. This is where we will start next week when we study the back half of the tribulation, known as the Great Tribulation. And we'll look further into these two beasts, the Antichrist and the False Prophet, much more. So, but what do I want you to get halfway through the tribulation? What do, I want you to get, uh, what do I want you to get from this message? Well, the first thing is, if you're not a believer in Christ, you need to surrender your life to Christ. I want you to know that the Bible teaches us that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back for his. And I want you to know that hard times are coming on the earth in the form of the great tribulation. I want you to know that Jesus loves you and wants, you, uh, wants to be your savior. He doesn't want you to endure what's to come. He wants to save you from the coming judgment and wrath. I want you to know that you don't have to endure this hell on earth. Not to mention uh, hell that's coming as the ultimate destination of anybody who refuses to bow to Jesus. And here today, if you are a Christian, I want you to know that your eternal future is secured. That although we're learning about all these things unfolding on the earth, something greater is happening in heaven. This is the process by which God is making every wrong right, and he's bringing about the new heaven and the new earth. There is a great Hope. Although we're talking about these different figures, the book of Revelation is again is not about the Antichrist. It's not a revelation of the Antichrist. The revelation of the, the, the great beast or the heart. It's not a revelation of any of that. It's a revelation of who Jesus. And you, for those of you in here, and for those of you listening to my voice, maybe later, maybe even during during this horrible time as Christians are raptured, my advice to you is to surrender your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our church. I thank you for the incredible hope we have in you, knowing that the work you started in us, you will complete if we don't give up. I thank you, Father, for those of us in here that are found in Christ. I pray, God, that we would continue to spread your message. That, Father, this may or may not be the last days, but it's certainly our last days. And we have a responsibility, an honor, a great privilege to spread your name greatly across this earth i pray that we would honor you in doing that i pray father for anybody in here or watching this later lord god that doesn't know you i pray god that they would bend their knee to your lordship that they would surrender their life to you and as a result lord you would give them back the life you've always attended intended for them a life full of love and peace and happiness god we love you we thank you in jesus name amen
0: Thank you for listening to this week's message. You can stay connected with us at vintage.church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Here at Vintage, we believe that church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Harker Heights, Fort Hood area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service times, and plan your visit by checking out our website at vintage.church. We hope to see you soon.